Chapter Eight, Part Three of the Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. But the days went on, and it was easy to see that his business kept Jadwin more and more from his wife. Often now, Corthell knew, he passed the night downtown, and upon those occasions when he managed to get home after the day's work, he was exhausted, worn out, and went to bed almost immediately after dinner. More than ever now, the artist and Mrs. Jadwin were thrown together. On a certain Sunday evening, the first really hot day of the year, Laura and Paige went over to spend an hour with the Cresslers, and, as they were all wont to do in the old days before Laura's marriage, the party sat out on the front stoop. For a wonder, Jadwin was able to be present. Laura had prevailed upon him to give her this evening, and the evening of the following Wednesday, on which latter occasion she had planned that they were to take a long drive in the park, in the buggy, just the two of them, as it had been in the days of their courtship. Corthell came to the Cresslers quite as a matter of course. He had dined with the Jadwins at the great North Avenue house, and afterwards the three, preferring to walk, had come down to the Cresslers on foot. But evidently the artist was to see but little of Laura Jadwin that evening. She contrived to keep by her husband continually. She even managed to get him away from the others, and the two, leaving the rest upon the steps, sat in the parlor of the Cressler's house, talking. By and by, Laura, full of her projects, exclaimed, "'Where shall we go? I thought perhaps we would not have dinner at home, but you could come back to the house just a little, a little bit early, and you could drive me out to the restaurant there in the park.' and we could have dinner there just as though we weren't married just as though we were sweethearts again oh i do hope the weather will be fine oh answered jadwin you mean uh wednesday evening and dear old girl honestly i i don't believe i can make it after all you see wednesday laura sat suddenly erect but you said she began her voice uh, faltering a little you said "'Honey, I know I did, but you must let me off this time again.' She did not answer. It was too dark for him to see her face, but, uneasy at her silence, he began an elaborate explanation. Laura, however, interrupted. Calmly enough, she said, "'Oh, that's all right. No, no, I don't mind. Of course, if you are busy.' "'Well, uh, you see, don't you, old girl?' "'Oh, yes.' "'Yes, I see,' she answered. She rose. "'I think,' she said, "'we'd better be going home, don't you?' "'Yes, I do,' he assented. "'I'm pretty tired myself. "'I've had a hard day's work. "'I'm thirsty, too,' he added as he got up. "'Would you like to have a drink of water, too?' She shook her head, and while he disappeared in the direction of the Cressler's dining-room, she stood alone a moment in the darkened room, looking out into the street. She felt that her cheeks were hot. Her hands, hanging at her sides, shut themselves into tight fists. "'Are you all alone?' said Corthell's voice behind her. She turned about quickly. "'I must be going,' he said. "'I came to say good-night.' He held out his hand. "'Good-night,' she answered, as she gave him hers. Then all at once she added, 
come to see me again soon will you come wednesday night and then his heart leaping to his throat corthell felt her hand as it lay in his close for an instant firmly about his fingers i shall expect you wednesday then she repeated he crushed her hand in his grip and suddenly bent and kissed it good night she said quietly jadwin's step sounded at the doorway good night he whispered and in another moment was gone during these days laura no longer knew herself at every hour she changed her moods came and went with rapidity that bewildered all those who were around her at times her gaiety filled the whole of her beautiful house at times she shut herself in her apartments denying herself to every one and her head bowed upon her folded arms wept as though her heart were breaking without knowing why for a few days a veritable seizure of religious enthusiasm held sway over her she spoke of endowing a hospital of doing church work among the slums of the city but no sooner had her friends readjusted their points of view to suit this new development than she was off upon another tangent and was one afternoon seen at the races with mrs gretry in her showiest victoria wearing a great flaring hat and a bouquet of crimson flowers she never repeated this performance however for a new fad took possession of her the very next day she memorized the role of lady macbeth built a stage in the ballroom at the top of the house and locking herself in rehearsed the part for three days uninterruptedly dressed in elaborate costume declaiming in chest tones to the empty room the raven himself is hoarse that croaks the entrance of duncan under my battlements then tiring of lady macbeth she took up juliet portia and ophelia each with appropriate costumes studying with tireless avidity and frightening aunt west with her declaration that she might go on the stage after all she even entertained the notion of having sheldon corthell paint her portrait as lady macbeth as often as the thought of the artist presented itself to her she fought to put it from her yes yes he came to see her often very often perhaps he loved her yet well suppose he did he had always loved her it was not wrong to have him love her to have him with her without his company great heavens her life would be lonely beyond words and beyond endurance besides was it to be thought for an instant that she she laura jadwin in her pitch of pride with all her beauty with her quick keen mind was to pine to droop to fade in oblivion and neglect was she to blame let those who neglected her look to it her youth was all with her yet and all her power to attract to compel admiration when corthell came to see her on the wednesday evening in question laura said to him after a few moments conversation in the drawing-room oh you remember the picture you taught me to appreciate the picture of the little pool in the art gallery the one you called despair i have hung it in my own particular room upstairs my sitting-room so as to have it where i can see it always i love it now but she added i am not sure about the light i think it could be hung to better advantage 
She hesitated a moment then. With a sudden, impulsive movement, she turned to him. Won't you come up with me and tell me where to hang it? They took the little elevator to the floor above, and Laura led the artist to the room in question, her sitting room. A wide, airy place, the polished floor covered with deep skins, the walls wainscotted halfway to the ceiling in dull woods. Shelves of books were everywhere, together with potted plants and tall brass lamps. A long Madeira chair stood at the window which overlooked the park and lake, and near to it a great round table of San Domingo mahogany, with tea-things and almost diaphanous china. "'Not a beautiful room,' murmured Corthell, as she touched the button in the wall that opened the current, "'and how much uh, you have impressed your individuality upon it. I should have known that you lived here. If you were thousands of miles away I had entered here, I should have known it was yours.' and loved it for such here is the picture she said indicating where it hung doesn't it seem to you that the light is bad but he explained to her that it was not so and that she had but to incline the canvas a little more from the wall to get a good effect of course of course she assented as he held the picture in place of course i shall have it hung over again to-morrow for some moments they remained uh, standing in the centre of the room, looking at the picture and talking of it. And then, without remembering just how it had happened, Laura found herself leaning back in the Madeira chair, Corthell seated near at hand by the round table. "'I am glad you like my room,' she said. "'It is here that I spend most of my time. Often lately I have had my dinner here.' page goes out a great deal now and so i'm left alone occasionally last night i sat here in the dark for a long time the house was so still everybody was out even some of the servants it was so warm i raised the windows and i sat here for hours looking out over the lake i could hear it lapping and washing against the shore almost like a sea and it was so still so still and I was thinking of the time when I was a little girl back at Barrington, years and years ago, picking whortleberries down in the water lot, and how I got lost once in the corn. The stalks were way above my head, and how happy I was when my father would take me up on the hay wagon. <sighs> I was happy in those days. Just a freckled, black-haired slip of a little girl, with my frock torn and my hands all scratched with the berry bushes. She had begun by dramatizing, but by now she was acting, acting with all her histrionic power at fullest stretch, acting the part of a woman unhappy amid luxuries, who looked back with regret and with longing toward a joyous, simple childhood. She was sincere, and she was not sincere. Part of her one of those two Laura Jadwins who at different times, but with equal right, called themselves I, knew just what effect her words, her pose, would have upon a man who sympathized with her, who loved her. But the other Laura Jadwin would have resented as petty, as even wrong, the insinuation that she was not wholly, thoroughly sincere. All that she was saying was true. No one, so she believed, ever was placed before as she was placed now. No one had ever spoken as now she spoke. 
her chin upon one slender finger, she went on, her eyes growing wide. If I had only known then that those days were to be the happiest of my life, this great house, all the beauty of it, and all this wealth, what does it amount to? Her voice was the voice of Phaedra, and the gesture of lassitude with which she let her arms fall into her lap was precisely that which only the day before she had used to accompany Portia's plaint of my little body is a weary of this great world yet at the same time laura knew that her heart was genuinely aching with real sadness and that the tears which stood in her eyes were as sincere as any she had ever shed all this wealth she continued her head dropping back upon the cushion of the chair as she spoke what does it matter for what does it compensate oh i would give it all gladly gladly to be that little black-haired girl again back in squire dearborn's water-lot with my hands stained with the whortleberries and the nettles in my fingers and my little lover who called me his bow-heart and bought me a blue hair ribbon and kissed me behind the pump-house ah said corthell quickly and earnestly that is the secret it was love even the foolish boy and girl love love that after all made your life sweet then she let her hands fall into her lap and musing turned the rings back and forth upon her fingers don't you think so he asked in a low voice she bent her head slowly without replying then for a long moment neither spoke laura played with her rings the artist, leaning forward in his chair, looked with vague eyes across the room, and no interval of time since his return, no words that had ever passed between them, had been so fraught with significance, so potent in drawing them together, as this brief wordless moment. At last Carthel turned toward her. "'You must not think,' he murmured, "'that your life is without love now. I will not have you believe that.' but she made no answer if you would only see he went on if you would only condescend to look you would know that there is a love which has enfolded your life for years you have shut it out from you always but it has been yours just the same it has lain at your door it has looked oh god knows with what longing through your windows you have never stirred abroad that it has not followed you not a footprint of yours that it does not know and cherish. Do you think that your life is without love? Why, it is all around you, all around you, but voiceless. It has no right to speak, and only has the right to suffer. Still Laura said no word. Her head turned from him. She looked out of the window, and once more the seconds passed while neither spoke. The clock on the table ticked steadily. In the distance, through the open window, came the incessant mournful wash of the lake. All around them the house was still. At length Laura sat upright in her chair. "'I think I will have this room done over while we are away this summer,' she said. "'Do you think it would be effective if the wainscoting went almost to the ceiling?' He glanced critically about the room. "'Very,' he answered briskly. "'There is no background so beautiful as wood. 
and I might finish it off at the top with a narrow shelf. Provided you promise not to put brass plaques or pewter kitchenware upon it. Do smoke, she urged him. I know you want to. You will find matches on the table. But Corthell, as he lit his cigarette, produced his own matchbox. It was a curious bit of antique silver, which he had bought in a Viennese pawn shop, heart-shaped and topped with a small ducal coronet of worn gold. On one side he had caused his name to be engraved in small script. Now, as Laura admired it, he held it toward her. "'An old punson box, I believe,' he informed her. "'Nor possibly it held an ointment for her fingernails.' He spilled the matches into his hand. "'You see the red stain still on the inside, and smell,' he added as she took it from him. "'Even the odor of the sulfur matches cannot smother the quaint old perfume, distilled perhaps three centuries ago.' An hour later Corthell left her. She did not follow him further than the threshold of the room, but let him find his way to the front door alone. When he had gone, she returned to the room and for a little while sat in her accustomed place by the window overlooking the park and the lake. Very soon after Corthell's departure, she heard Page, Landry Court, and Mrs. Wessels come in. Then at length, rousing from her reverie, she prepared for bed. But as she passed the round mahogany table on her way to her bedroom, she was aware of a little object lying upon it near to where she had sat. Oh, he forgot it she murmured as she picked up Corthell's heart-shaped matchbox. She glanced at it a moment indifferently, but her mind was full of other things. She laid it down again upon the table, and going on into her own room, went to bed. Jadwin did not come home that night, and in the morning Laura presided at the breakfast-table in his place. Landry Court, Page, and Aunt Wess were there, for occasionally nowadays, when the trio went to one of their interminable concerts or lectures, Landry stayed overnight at the house. "'Any message for your husband, Mrs. Jadwin?' inquired Landry, as he prepared to go downtown after breakfast. "'I always see him in Mr. Gretry's office the first thing. Any message for him?' "'No,' answered Laura, simply. Uh. "'By the way,' spoke up Aunt Wes, "'we met that Mr. Corthell on the corner last night just as he was leaving. "'I was real sorry not to get home here before he left. "'I never heard him play on that big organ, "'and I've been wanting to for ever so long. "'I hurried home last night, hoping I might have caught him before he left. "'I was regularly disappointed. "'That's too bad,' murmured Laura, and then for obscure reasons— she had the stupidity to add, and we were in the art gallery the whole evening. He played beautifully. End of chapter 8, part 3